Welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with female thought leaders, experts, and founders. We will be digging deep whilst sharing experience, insights, and tips for busy Generation X women seeking ways to strip back, simplify, live intentionally, and create space for everyday joy. I'm your host, Tammy Thomas, founder of The 360 Brand. Before I introduce episode 36 with the wonderful, amazing Ronke Lowell, I would like to share, I'm delighted to announce that this is now an award-winning podcast. I won the Precious Lifestyle Award for Best Podcast and I am absolutely over the moon. I would like to say a huge, great, big, heartfelt thank you to Faluke for setting Setting up Precious Lifestyle in the first place, or Precious Online in the first place, and then creating, that was in 1999, 1999. I'd also like to thank her for setting up the Precious Awards about 11 years ago, and then last year setting up the Precious Lifestyle Awards. Um, for Luke, your work isn't unnoticed, we value you, we treasure you, and I just want to take this moment to honour you and say thank you very much. Okay, now on to episode 36. It is very fitting that I am sharing this episode today after receiving a precious, precious, even precious lifestyle award. Um, Precious Online, the Precious Awards are um, to honour, acknowledge, support and uplift black women, women of colour in business um, because It's just something that doesn't happen often enough. And when there is no seat being made available at the table, you make your own. Well done for Luke. Um, So yeah, so today is the perfect day to share this podcast with Ronke Lowell. Ronke is a PR maven, absolute PR whiz. Um, She is a absolute brilliant person at all things public relations, marketing, business, Um, I think she's an absolutely formidable woman, a real true leader, and I really admire the way that she is herself wherever she goes and is able to not dim her light, but adapt her light according to where she is so that it shines accordingly and doing that without diluting the essence of who she is. One of my favourite places to watch Ronke in motion is Twitter. I'm going to make sure that I have links to her social media in the show notes. Her Twitter, as you're going to hear me say in the episode, for me is the absolute perfect combination of humour, banter, social critique, observation, academia, business, solid knowledge, diversity and inclusion, the whole shebang. I feel like she's such a multifaceted, well-rounded person. It was an absolute privilege to have her on my podcast. And this ended up being a really soulful conversation about the reality of being a person of multi-identity in Britain. We talk about how our identity and background has shaped us as professionals and the way we move through professional spheres. And Ronke just shares so much information very generously about her experience of being a black professional woman in a world that isn't as inclusive as it should and could be. I'm not going to go on any further. I want you to listen to the show. Um, Yeah, it was an absolute joy. Thank you, Ronke. Enjoy. Sorry, me again. Just very quickly to say at the very end of our conversation, the signal went all over the shop, um, but it doesn't take away anything from the potency of this conversation. Enjoy. Hello, wonderful people, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me for another episode of 360 Conversations. Today, I am joined by a lady called Ronke Lawal. If you don't know, you better get to know. (laughs) Ronke is a, and I don't, I'm not saying this, when I've said something along these lines about someone, I've made them go bloody hell, like pressure, but it's no pressure at all. But this woman is a boss, an absolute boss, a PR whiz, 
I don't think that there's anything this woman doesn't do. And I live, live for her Twitter. If you're not following, I'm going to put, I'm going to put a link. I find myself when Ronke tweets and I think, you know, Twitter does that algorithm thing where the people whose tweets you hover over or interact with the most, it brings it, brings them up first. But like, sometimes I find myself not liking a tweet because I'm like, it's too much. This woman's going to think I'm a stalker, but it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's, it's for me, it's a perfect blend if there is such thing as, per- well, for me, it's a perfect blend of academia, satire, activism, humour, social commentary. It's like the total package. Yeah. And and I, I want to know how you do it all, but we're going to come to that. Let me actually pump the brakes and um, welcome you to my show. Welcome, Ronke. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really excited to be having this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. So, could you please tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do so that they may too understand why I am gassed to be having this <laughs> conversation? So I am a lover of life, first mm-hmm. of all, and I love the fact that you've kind of, that probably comes through in my use of social. Um, I'm a PR consultant, so I work with a lot of um, small business owners and entrepreneurs uh, in the lifestyle and consumer goods sector, creative sector, and I've been running my PR consultancy for well over a decade now. Um, I also do one-to-one consultancies in terms of personal brands, so for individuals who want to quote-unquote PR themselves, which actually helps because a lot of people now, even in the professional world, they have to be ambassadors for their organizations. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen, I mean, if, you, if, you, if we pay attention to what happens in the world and in the news, it can take one person's mistake to damage an entire company's mm-hmm. reputation. Mm-hmm. So everything intertwined and interlinked um and yeah actually that leads me on nicely i also do some crisis comms consultancy as well olivia Um, pope in the house (laughs) so i i um yeah i use i think i like i like how you introduced me i i do love social media i started my business before social media well when i say before I did a lot of networking on forums mm-hmm. when I started my business. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't really Twitter or Instagram. I think Facebook was at its early stages and that wasn't really for business at all. Mm-hmm. But um, I have seen the impact of social media and I am very conscious of the impact uh, it has on ourselves as individuals and on businesses as well mm-hmm. and professional landscapes. So, yeah, that's probably why when you describe my Twitter, you, I love that because that's very accurate. <laughs> It's, it's, it's such a beautiful blend. Um, and I remember the first time I came across you, it was at the 2010 club. Octavia had a meetup and um, you we were, we were talking about what we were doing and blah, blah, blah. And then you, you just were like some quiet storm. Blah, 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 this, that and the other. Yeah, I've just got the um, I've just got a job or I'm thinking about accepting a job as like some head honcho in charge of the Chamber of Commerce of this. I was like, my friend, you say what? Like, I thought Ron Kay's the person my parents would have compared me to. Like, you know, Ron Kay's nine. She's doing masters. Look at you. Your head is full of play. <laughs> And I was such a geek at school. I was such a, when I say a geek, I was proudly always facing my books. Hmm. Um, And I'm I'm an older child, I'm the oldest. So I think that's part of the reason why I always had to face my books. But I I used to love, you're so funny. I used to love, without being a show off though, it was really weird. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this kind of idea of showing off and showing who we are. But like, I used to just like to just be very studious mm-hmm. and very attentive to mm-hmm. my books. And- <laughs> perfect. Okay, let's jump straight in to um, showing who we are and being ourselves because you have been in PR for a minute. You have been an entrepreneur within PR for when I was reading your stuff, it was like 14 years. You first went out into business in 2004. I'm sure you must have been like three years old or something at that time. And at that time, I 
like the world has changed significantly. I feel like particularly as a black person, regardless of your gender, it was really difficult for us to be ourselves. Like we're not fully being ourselves yet, I don't think, but it was really, really difficult. So I've got friends that work in marketing and one of my friends who work, who used to work in marketing, she was like, um, when she used to work in the Arcadia group many moons ago, people in her workplace didn't know that she was going to Twice As Nice or they didn't know that she was going to Coliseum and that she was a garage girl. Like the code switching was real. Yeah. So please could you speak to the evolution of being yourself and then we're going to come to the showing off piece. Oh my goodness. So when I started my business, um, (laughs) it used to have a very different business name actually because I wanted to I started off very young and I wanted to be taken very seriously Mm -hmm. so my business name made me sound like I employed a hundred people and it was a stuffy consultancy group type Mm -hmm. business name um and I and this is bearing in mind that I am from a working class background so working class Nigerian background I don't have any access to real privilege Mm -hmm. I mean I went to um, and I had the, the privilege of culture, mm-hmm. so I can talk about that. But the privilege of a cultural heritage, but um, yeah. So I've always recognised, and I think as members of diaspora, so specifically African diaspora, and I'm sure the Caribbean diaspora mm. or any Asian diaspora can can relate. We always kind of know that we have to present a certain face mm-hmm. in order to. Be and as much as even growing up as much as we can say oh we want to be ourselves it's one of those unspoken unspoken rules like I I wasn't taught that until I started recognizing that I need to be that way in business Mm -hmm. but I realized even at uni and even in certain spaces when I was networking certain people are taught how to navigate spaces because you know naturally Mm -hmm. um especially spaces so you know, I mentioned being working class because I think class has a major role to play in this country, mm-hmm. as well as race and as well as gender and all of these other things, you know, that always identify mm-hmm. us as people. So it took years. I'm going to be really honest with you. And even when I remember, the, I love the fact that you brought up that conversation about me taking on the role of CEO of a chamber of commerce. Even that for me was like... CEO, it's- yo. It was a small organization. <laughs> hey, we're not pooping it, it. She says CEO, okay? <laughs> oh my goodness. When I took that role on, I still had to present as a certain person because I was a, I was a young black woman mm-hmm. taken over from an older white man in that position, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I still had to kind of, I, I still had to wrestle with being myself, being it's awful to say, being the acceptable face, but also not denying who I really am. And then after that, after my tenure at the the chamber, I rebranded the business and I realized I had to rebrand it in a way that was more in synergy with my sole purpose. Mm -hmm. And so that has allowed me to not only attract some amazing clients, like I'm doing, I'm doing so much better now. Well, hopefully because of the time that's passed, but so much better now, than I did when I first started. Now, obviously, there's a lot of stories we can tell about that. But when you realize, when you start to really follow your soul's purpose and Mm -hmm. you start to be more authentic, it becomes easier to be who you really are. Now, that being said, (laughs) there's always going to be elements where you still have to recognize that you're going to have to play a certain game. Now, I'm not saying wear a mask or be duplicitous or be deceitful, but again kind of drawing back to historical context and you know cultural context sometimes you have to recognize what spaces are going to be safe enough for me mm. to be a hundred there's not going to be unless if we're going to be a hundred percent real there's not going to be a, a lot of spaces where you can be a hundred percent yourself <laughs> you to be able to just recognize be discerning mm-hmm. and again I hate to use this expression, but play a game to some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting one. And I think it's important. I'm a believer that 
as much as possible, be who you really are. That's who I want to see. That's what the world, that's what the, who the world wants to see, but also be wise with it yeah. and recognize the systems at place. And unfortunately, some of us, we're fighting a bigger system than we'll ever be able to beat. So mm-hmm. you have to figure out how can you navigate it mm-hmm. while still being true to yourself and yeah. being able to, you know, hold, hold your, yourself dear, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. like protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember, um, I don't know if she's the one that said it or whether or not she had read it somewhere, but um, there's a, a a friend of mine, Nicola, who is on Instagram as Too Much Mothering Information. And I'm forever talking about this woman on this podcast, but I think that she is awesome and her content is awesome. And she was talking about um, white supremacy and stu- structural racism. And um, maybe she got it from somewhere, but she was saying um, that white supremacy is not the shark, it's the water. So that demonstrates the gravity of what we're dealing with here. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we, you, you're here thinking it's a common shark. Actually, it is the water that even the shark is swimming within. Oh my god! You know that? Wow! Mm. And you know when we, when we, you see, this is like I, I, why I love conversations like that, like this, because when you really put it like that. So, for example, when you're looking at black women in business or any other woman or individual who's defined as a minority in this country, so in the UK, for mm-hmm. example, you have to realise there's certain mechanisms at play. And I love this. That expression is a really, really interesting one because you realise as you are securing the bag or collecting the coins, how much, how much, how many bags can you secure without eventually kind of feeding into the system because mm-hmm. you know <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be an element you have to be able to swim against the tide otherwise you'll drown yeah. and, and that's a, so that is a really mm-hmm. wow i'm gonna try and remember that mm-hmm. one <laughs> it's it's a lot when i was like wow for real and it is that thing about playing a game and not being duplicitous it is survival it is, is it. survival i know for sure in let me like a a classic example of the ways in which we have to embody all sorts of things there was one day I wasn't even not not paying attention kind of something dropped in my car and as I turned I thought I was pressing the brake (laughs) who knows what I was doing but I bumped into the woman's car ahead of me it wasn't a big thing in America I'm sure they would call it a fender bender but no fender was bent it was just a bump (laughs) Mm -hmm. she looked up in her rear view mirror and saw I, I actually saw this happen she saw a black woman in the car and froze I just stopped my car obviously the car was stopped because it banged into hers I got out of my car and um I could see that the woman was really frightened I was tapping on I wanted to like I didn't even tap on the window in instead I put on my biggest what I could manage as a warm smile and waved at the window and asked Mm. her if she was okay because I thought I don't know if I've if the bang was severe enough for whiplash or what so I yeah. had done something wrong, but because of the water in which we swim, her immediate response was to freeze. Mm. And oh. I, was, I was like, that, that is just, you know, um, we've got countless examples of all the things. But not only was I shaken up by the fact that I had done like whatever dropped the ball or whatever the saying is and and bumped into this woman's car I was also Mm. like bloody hell like I'm trying to be helpful and you're not even seeing me as a human being you've seen the color Mm. of my skin and you're immediately scared even in my career in social work whenever I was Mm. visiting a new family or whatever it was I was doing especially because I worked quite a lot in the home counties, I would knock on the door and step a few steps back because I had so many incidents of people not um, totally unaware of what they're doing and they would like jolt to see me at the door. You know I'm coming, it's four o'clock, you've arranged a visit with the social worker, the social worker's coming round, the door has knocked at four o'clock it can't be anybody else, but whether you've not paid attention to my name, my surname has thrown you off, or you've listened to me speak and made an assumption, but when you see the black figure at the door... Oh, God. And this is... A, and you know what? It's This is why it's important to be able to have these kinds of conversations. This is why I say 
some like now we can be a hundred percent ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. But if we were having this conversation in a different atmosphere, there would probably be somebody in the room or you know in, in the in the environment who'd say, "Oh no, well, how can you define that? Yeah. How would you? Know, how do you? Know? You know, making us question yeah. the thing that we, the very thing that we know to mm-hmm. be true and to be real, because you, you you don't have to say anymore. And I I I can absolutely relate because I've been there. You know, when you've been on the tube or on the bus or in public transport or whatever, and someone you you could be dressed like you own you know a top bank mm-hmm. and there'll still be someone who you'll come close to and they'll clutch their clutch their bag and it's like hello what's going on. on we get that yeah we understand yeah. what that means yeah. but yeah. others might not understand what that means you know mm-hmm. and 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 it can it, it's 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 cumbersome oh, it's cumbersome it is it is it is but now <laughs> Moving on into showing off, you said something, something, I can't remember what it was exactly that you said, but you said something about not, not to be showing off. Was it about your, your big time jobs, your business, being in business for a while? (laughs) So this concept of showing off. This is, this is a good, right. So. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you guys could see Ronke's face as she is calculating in her mind. How to how to answer this? Right. So, and I think this is really this is really an important one for all, all women first. So I'll do a hashtag all women, yeah, and then hashtag black women specifically. Yeah. Um, we are conditioned not to be too loud and proud about what we do or who we are, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a tendency to to encourage us not to be too forthright in our achievements and our accomplishments, not to overwhelm. I think that's a patriarchal thing because men are supposed to be the ones yes. who are the hunter gatherers, right? They're yes. the ones who are supposed to show off and shine. So for to see women start to speak up and be bold about their achievements and their accomplishments is something that I think not just you know, it's not just uh, men who try and diminish women. I think women, we've internalized patriarchy. So we, we do that too. We get uncomfortable. We see each other do well. Mm-hmm. Um, now more than ever, though, we're changing. I think yeah. there are women who just celebrate women. And we lo- and I my personal experience is that women are the greatest supporters of other women. But yeah. there will always be some who don't necessarily yeah. do that kind of um, supporting. So so when I, when I speak about showing off, isn't necessary is 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 a is is not a bad thing when you know it's true like showing off is really just showing people who you are like yeah. if you've done something amazing and and you've accomplished something brilliant you should be proud of that mm-hmm. and that's not to say that you want your ego to to take over you want it's not about selfish ambition and mm-hmm. just being this kind of it's all about me 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 for me showing quote unquote showing off is about showing people who you are and giving them permission giving them space to also open up about the things they're proud about because I think we don't in this world and I'm going to be really specific because I think some of your audience probably your listeners are around the world so I think the U.S. experience is going to be slightly different from the U.K. experience Mm -hmm. compared to maybe the West African or Mm -hmm. you know what I mean Asian experience so in the U.K. specifically there is a cultural thing as well about that humble, yes. you know, we must, you know, just, you know, keep calm and drink your tea and just, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, your, your accomplishments, yeah, your, your accomplishments should really speak for themselves. And that is true to some extent. Like I love, you know, I love to be humble, but never modest. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, once you know you are it, let people know you are it once the, the evidence is there. It, it speaks for itself. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to hide. Yes. Um, but I think as women, we tend to kind of dim our lights a lot, a lot. <clears throat> and in the UK, it can be hard because especially black women, like there's this thing about a confident, vocal, proud black woman that seems to get people's back up mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. because we're supposed to be of service. Yeah. I think historically black women specifically are supposed to be, subservient even though ironically inside our homes we are supposed to be strong Mm -hmm. outside and i guess even in the family we're supposed to be strong but of service our Mm -hmm. strength is not for ourselves Mm -hmm. our power is not for ourselves to Mm -hmm. use our power and our strength is for our families and society to use Mm -hmm. so people strong black women she's not strong for herself Mm -hmm. it's she's strong 
proud of that strength and, you know, bold and confident. Her strength is, also, is supposed to be used to, to cover and protect everyone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want, and that's why I love podcasts like yours, platforms like yours, and, you know, being able to speak about our achievements in a way that, yeah, like, we did that. Yeah. And there's nothing, like, I don't know what else you want me to do. I can't deny my greatness because if I deny my greatness, then I'm denying God's light in me. So I don't know. Maybe there's this stigma attached to show the the expression showing off, but how I like to see it is show It's not really showing off. It's just showing people who you really are. (laughs) No. Oh gosh. Yes. 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 And I, I think it's really interesting that, so I've got a child, she's 12. The things I encourage within her were not things that were encouraged within me. And that is not because my parents were bad or whatever. Number one, as immigrants, it was, and an in the late 70s, 80s, early 90s, it was definitely a story of assimilation. We knew it wasn't protecting us, but that was the best we had. And then number two, I think that that the, sort of like those generations, it was very much about get your head down, work hard, keep quiet. So the idea, and, and, and still it was the assimilation story. So the idea of being yourself and being true to, true to yourself, it was like, who do you think you are? And mm-hmm. I think the amount of times... Um, I've heard or experienced those like very throwaway comments as a child. No one likes to show off, stop showing off, blah, blah, blah. It it feeds into your psyche and into your cells so that you do dim your light. And it's like, um, I, can't, what, I was saying something the other day. Oh, I was talking about two women that had tagged me coincidentally on the same day on Instagram, two women tagged me in their posts and essentially what they were saying was that um they like to connect with me on instagram or they like me because um i am who i am like they think that i'm being who i am or something along those i'm nice i'm kind whatever words it was that they used and when i was talking about that on instagram stories i can't even remember why i was talking about it on oh i was talking about it on instagram stories because i really struggled to just accept that and then even in retelling that story on instagram stories it was a real struggle for me to get those words out because still somewhere in my probably it's filtered up from my unconscious to my subconscious there's still that thing about being a show off Mm. so it makes you so I would agree with you wholeheartedly my experience of social media in this wave of social media use is that I have been supported I have been cheered on I've got women recommending me for this that and the other the the connections are beautiful but Mm -hmm. still within me because of that conditioning it's still stuck there And I'm thinking, Mm. when's the time that you get told that the most? It's probably in the latter half of your primary school education. So say seven and under. Now, I had a conversation with a hypnotherapist a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, well, I'll be damned when she said this. So, you know, when you have all these psychologists or whatever, and they say things like, "Um, show me a boy of seven, I'll show you the man he'll become. Those kind of things. And seven is a pivotal age. Mm -hmm. When she was talking about hypnotherapy and explaining... She was saying from the year from from birth to seven years old is like walking around in a constant state of hypnosis. We are open blank canvases. We believe that adults are your parents are still magical. You believe that if if you've got a relatively quote unquote good family, you think your Mm -hmm. parents are magical. You think they know everything. You think that what everything adults say is correct. So you're just Mm -hmm. absorbing all of that. And you don't mm-hmm. have the um, vocabulary skills, you don't have the emotional skills or the cognitive skills to be able to process that in a way that we can now and have a discussion. So that just gets mm-hmm. locked into your unconscious. So mm-hmm. you don't even know it's there. So you oh. now grow up and you've got an issue. Oh, gosh, people are going to think I'm a show off. To mm-hmm. work through that takes so long because it, you were almost hypnotized into that way of thinking if I bear in mind what this hypnotherapist has said. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So we're, we're, yeah. so, and then add on that being a woman, add on that yeah. being a black woman, add on that being of, um, and, and I would say particularly West African parentage, because we, mm-hmm. especially from a West African country that was a former colony, because mm-hmm. 
it was a center mm-hmm. symbol to act like the British, talk like the British, be educated yeah. like the British. <laughs> so when you have all of those layers that you need mm. to bust through, mm. my gosh, I'm tired thinking about it. It is exhausting, isn't it? Mm. And, and but it's important to have those conversations because if we don't have those conversations, there's a lot of there's a lot of situations. So if we think about it, so you've got the gender pay gap, you've got the ethnicity pay gap, mm. you've got all these. And it's like after a while, it's like okay, we we know the root cause in terms of the top, the top, and inability to shift uh, those that, that, those those boardrooms. Mm-hmm. There's all these boardrooms, right? But then it also comes down to an element of how do we instill that confidence to keep each other going in the midst of some of that hardship and turmoil yeah. in business and in the professional setting and corporate. You know, that's why. I'm one of these people who, you know, I don't like the statements. Um, people, you know, when people ask, oh, how did you, how did you get there? Or how did you do this? And people always say, well, it's, it's just self-belief and it's pull yourself up with it by your bootstraps and anyone can do it. When and your boots haven't me. even got straps in the first yeah. place. <laughs> that's not really fair because we, we have to be able to have these kind of real conversations because mm-hmm. there's so many layers to mm-hmm. it. It's not just... Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, yes, self-belief is great. And mm-hmm. I, I am an advocate for it, but that's just, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. We know that. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you're not in, a, in, in an atmosphere or an environment where you're conditioned to believe that you are worthy of your achievements even, you know, mm-hmm. and that you can, um, you can put yourself forward for the, the best, you know, the best things in life. And so, for yeah. example, I've had, I remember a friend told me this great story where she wasn't getting um, the same amount of, money as a colleague of hers in, in, in the office. And she found this out. I don't even know how she found this out. It might have been an after-work drink. But this is a black woman in a corporate setting. And she had her one-to-one with her boss. And, you know, she could have been the kind of person to accept it and swallow it. But she took it upon herself. So she could have done a whole, you know what, I'm going to pull myself up by my boots. Yeah. I'm going to prove them wrong. But she's already proven her worth, right? Mm-hmm. She knew that she did more than she went above and beyond in her workplace. So she said, you know what? I'm not going to have this anymore. And so she handed in her her notice. Now, a lot of people are going to listen and think, oh my gosh, bills and mortgage. She was fine in a sense of, yes, there's going to be a period of, you know, you're looking for work and you've got a period of of, of drought. But ultimately she she took, she took that confidence that we're speaking about, that showing off, that knowledge, because that showing off you know that you mm-hmm. are worth mm-hmm. to stand by it. And when the push comes to shove, you can't stay in environments that aren't going to respect you. And I know it's hard, but because in a lot of atmospheres, we, we're not, we're teaching, you know, young, young, young people, just keep going, keep at it. And you know what? What's that doing to their mental health? What's exactly. that doing to their spiritual, yeah. spiritual well-being? Like, we have to have those honest conversations. And yeah. I'm not saying anyone should quit their job. What I am <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I am saying is, recognize what there is that we can do and, 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 and the real, like the things that we need to do to change our mindsets beyond the kind of that whole, just keep up, keep going. Yeah. And you're yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and conversely, put yourself in the room. I think there's a lot of times that we discount ourselves, put yourself in the room. I remember being at a um, event by Inspirational You and there was a panel discussion about mental health and um, one of the panellists was talking about knowing that as a black woman she has to work 10 times as hard for half as much, that kind of thing. And then um, this um, other lady, my friend Lisa, um, was on the panel, uh, she's on Instagram as Self Central, uh, Self Central 101, in fact, she said, actually, um, I don't, I don't think that we should subscribe to that um, work 10 times as hard to be accepted as average or whatever kind of notion. I think that we should just be telling ourselves and our children and those in our communities, just do your best. Your best is enough because the whole 10 times as hard is very, very oppressive. And we're constantly pushing ourselves to burnout and it plays into the whole strong black woman thing. And, 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 Literally, when the when the person was saying I've got to work ten times as hard, I was like, "Yeah, right on, sister." As that's when Lisa mm-hmm. became my friend. Um, because... <laughs> you see, no, you see, this, yeah. is what we're, this is what I'm trying to get to. This whole narrative of the black, because I used to growing up, you know, and because we didn't have, you know, on on in our media landscape in the UK, we yeah. didn't maybe have as many um, examples or role models mm-hmm. on TV. 
example. So Black Excellence for me was all those major names that we can reel off from America. Yeah. Now, as you start getting older and you realise this black, black excellence in and of itself, whilst I still admire it and I admire and understand the underlying principle and rationale, what we are also subscribing to is we have to work so hard that we can't even just be... Sometimes... We I can't even be, just be excellent. Oh. <laughs> me too! Sometimes I, I just want to just... Just rest and just, you know, because, because this is 10 times as hard, two times as hard, three, four times as hard thing. Whilst it's great, it's exhausting us. Please, <laughs> let me rest. You see, this is why I love this woman's Twitter. Let, let, and you know that thing with rest? Literally, just the other day, I was talking at this event um, and I was talking about self-care and being freelance it was uh doing it for the kids they're a um like a, a group for parents that have literally they're doing it for the kids they've gone freelance so that they can have more time with their children and I was saying you know we can't continue to create freelance careers or start our own businesses just to mimic what we were doing in employment but because that conditioning is so deep I know, you know, we've got all these things. Well, because that's what we're doing. We're acting like we're still going to someone's place of work, sitting in their <laughs> office. Please, sir, can I have annual leave? Oh, my goodness. That was just... <laughs> it's true, though. We do, we're doing oh. that. And we're having that thing. If we don't do all the work, if we don't work till 10 o'clock, we don't know where the next work is coming from, then we're taking on so much work, we're overwhelmed, then we have to be working till midnight. Repeat, 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 repeat. And then we're burning out the same way we did in employment. And I just been doing all of this you know personal development reading all these self-help doing all this stuff because I'm like do you know what I'm 40 and this decade for me is very very important in a way that other decades haven't been in not that they haven't been important but it's 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 way more important for me so I've been tracking my cycle all of this all of that and um I know from my studying myself because imagine I've spent my whole life, like a lot of us have, acting in a certain way, but not actually getting to know myself. So I now know, or I've known for some time, for my yeah. cycle, day 24 to day 27 slash 28, I am really, really tired. Ronke, I work from home. I, li- I have created a, a, a work life whereby I work from home, I can build my time accordingly obviously my time has to be built in a way where I'm making money blah 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 but I know that from day 24 to day 28 I get so tired so a 20 minute nap is really fantastic for powering me up so that I can continue for the rest of the day rather than continuing in a way where I'm really distracted or I'm really slow I have a decent amount of energy it's taken me six months to actually allow myself to know that the nap is valid rest that enables me to continue doing work because before the whole story in my head would be talking about all the things I've got to do, feeling guilty. I'm just lazy. I should just pull, push through. Meanwhile, that nap is actually fueling good quality of work that I can enjoy. Mm. But it it took six months of practice before I could set my alarm and just drift off to sleep. Without oh my telling myself I'm useless and all these oh kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, see, this is where, and I think we're, we're getting even deep and we're, we're, we're getting deeper. It, and it's, we touched on this um, earlier. This is where, when I, we spoke about the, sh- the shark versus the water of these systems mm-hmm. that we are surviving in, or at least trying to survive and trying to thrive in. Mm-hmm. You know, capitalism is a, is a, is a social construct, a system that wasn't built for us. Mm-mm. It is built on. It is built for the on top of us, right? Right. Mm. And remember, the, the capitalism was sustained and still is sustained by the oppression of of people. Of specifically, I'm going to be very honest and, and real, black people. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the his, you know the history of transatlantic slavery and colonialism, mm-hmm. it was built on that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, this is why we can never underestimate colonialism, imperialism, and all of these things in history, because if you really, really think about it, whilst we can all kind of um and um go cooey to the royal family and all these lovely, you know, organisations, I say lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay. Okay. You know, lovely. They, this is the, P, the power of their, their brand, the PR. Mm-hmm. But when you really think about it, the, the ability to create this amount of wealth, 
on, off the backs of our ancestors. And yet we still, as, 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 as descendants, um, we still don't even, we can't even rest. We still have to prove ourselves. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that if we walk through the city of London, the majority of banks and institutions were built from the the wealth and the resources taken from our native lands, right? Yeah. So, and, and they were distant. Like most of the people who built those banks, they hardly had, let's be real, they, okay, they use, they use their intelligence and they use their minds or whatever, whatever yeah. you want to call it. They didn't have to use their... They their life. Work. Yeah. Whereas we, it, it's almost like it's in our, it's been, we've been so conditioned now to, to, to keep working and keep but working. But you know they say working. DNA has memory. Honestly. <laughs> Even what you said about that nap, and like you've just now realized you deserve that nap, and you're mm-hmm. allowed to have that nap, and we're allowed to rest. And it's mm-hmm. like, hold on, mm-hmm. yes, of course we are. Why? Mm-hmm. Why is that not? Mm-hmm. But you're right. DNA memory. I'm sure I'm not an expert, but I'm sure one of your listeners can give us more insight into that. But that's exactly what that is. Well, I don't know the ins and outs, but there was a study done on Holocaust survivors and their ancestors. And there was some change to the structure of the DNA or something. I'm going to find it and I'll link it in the show notes. And mm-hmm. um, I just, and, and then, so whatever I was reading was saying, if that is true of people, of Jewish people that um, experienced the Holocaust and their descendants, what mm-hmm. does that do for people that were impacted by the transatlantic slave trade? What does that do for Asian indentured, um, whatever indentured slaves or whatever the, the, the terminology is? I don't know. What does that do for all the black and brown people across the world who were impacted by imperialism, colonial, like, and all that sort of stuff? It it really, really, I, I, and even if it's not held in the DNA. We're raised by the people that were 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 picking cotton, seeing people driven off from their village, bundled on ships. So, or even, even look at, um, 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 Puerto Rico. Okay. um, Puerto Rico is still an American colony, but it is still being treated like a poor relation. They are still suffering the aftermath of the um, of the um, was it an an earthquake or something they had there? Even even Haiti. Look at all of those places because you're still treated like we're we're still paying for our the the price that we're still laboring. We might not be in a field laboring. But we're still labouring. My goodness. Oh, my. Go- and, you know. And actually, I didn't even think we were going to get this deep, but we're here. <laughs> we're, we're getting really super deep, but it's important to have those conversations. And also what I like about a conversation like this is that awareness. Like, we're not, we're not, we're not speaking in conspiracies. We're not mm. speaking in fake news terms. No. We are very much speaking about the realities of history yeah. and the realities of this world and social constructs and systems that yeah. sustain you know, this world. So for me, ultimately, as much as we don't want everything to be political, it tends to, when you start dissecting, it is. most things are it political. Is. Yeah. Um, segueing or looping okay. back to something you talked about, about class. So um, I was reading something, um, an interview that you were done I can't remember the website, but I'll link the interview um, okay. where you were talking about growing up on a council estate in Hackney. Okay. Um, so I've had a number of conversations. One, literally in the last three days, this one was an Instagram conversation where we were talking about the conditioning of starting out life on a council estate. And um, mm-hmm. it was that notion of sort of like busting through limitations and transcending. Does mm-hmm. that narrative strike a chord with you it, it absolutely it absolutely does and this is it kind of feeds into everything we've talked spoken about actually the, the all the you know having to work feeling like we have to work so hard and then realize that actually sometimes I don't want to work that hard and sometimes I want to rest mm-hmm. also the dream you know I I had I still do have big dreams but I think you know as you as you become older and wiser you you realize that okay how do we how do we maintain those dreams have a element of realism, but also ensure that we're being fair to everybody around us. Because I think growing up on a council estate, you see 
Well, I saw the impact of economic disparity and inequality, like face value. Like I, I, I saw what it was like to be ignored by a system that was supposed to serve us, mm-hmm. right? I saw what it was like for my parents' dreams to not necessarily be fulfilled in, for themselves. And so they projected their dreams onto to, to us. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that pressure of, you know, carrying my own dream, but also carrying my parents' dream and not mm-hmm. letting them. And so you've got that double feeling of f- failure if you don't do well, because on the one side, you want to do well for yourself. And then you obviously you kind of have to silence that quote unquote selfish voice because everybody's always going to tell you you're selfish for wanting something for yourself. Yeah. But also wanting to do well for your immediate family, your parents. And, you know, growing up on a council estate, whilst one thing I will say is it's a, it's a really good community builder. Like you, you yes. see every, everybody I've ever met in the corporate or business world, anybody I've ever met who's working class from a council estate, from any race, actually, there's this kind of shared, you, you know, you would get each other, like we get it, like we get this, this world we're living in, you know, mm-hmm. it's a community. Mm-hmm. but you've got to realize okay this is not this can't be my story right so i'm not i'm not ashamed of that <laughs> i'm not ashamed of my story but i don't want it to be my like the only thing my, it's my, not my the story. book it's a chapter to, it is yeah, not the book right? yes you do so much to kind of you know run away from that story or not run away change the story yeah and so, you know, now you know I'm 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 on the property ladder and I'm technically middle class and mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm doing all you know I live I, I live a really good lifestyle my quality of life is compared to what it was growing up obviously yeah. like yeah. no comparison yeah. you know what I mean but there's always that element that's always, and I love what you mentioned earlier um, in terms of that seven-year-old child. There's always that little childhood voice who's like, remember where you came from? Mm-hmm. And it's not in, a, not in a kind of humble yourself way. It's actually in this hunger, like, okay, so what can we do to make sure that other children or other young people who are in council estates can see that they can, they can, they can get out? Yeah. But also re- recognizing that they may not, all, all have the same opportunity and my opportunity is different like mm-hmm. I, my, my story is going to be different from other people's stories so yeah. I can only give my anecdotal kind of evidence so to speak yeah but I, class and and this is where it becomes so complex especially in a country like the UK a city like London you know I I'm not a superficial individual but that comes from my up, upbringing however I do understand the markers of superficiality so I do understand and that's why I even mentioned, you know, being on a property ladder and being able to go away mm-hmm. and being able to buy things. You recognize the social markers that you kind of need. We don't need, but you want to have yes. to ensure that you're showing the world that you're not reliant upon those very systems that used to make you feel less than, almost less yeah. than human. Really frank, you know, great. I don't know many people who could say growing up in certain council states was a, you, you can find positives, but, you know, when, when the council forgets to do certain things and you've got vermin and you've got, do you see what I mean? Yeah. You start to feel like living yeah. it, like you're less than a human being, mm. if that makes sense. You, you're, you're reliant upon another entity, you, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and the fact that my parents couldn't couldn't get us out, so to speak, at, at that stage, yeah. you can sense their frustration. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a shame because they were, they, were pr- they, were pr- they, were, they were proud of who they were very proud Nigerian parents. However, there was that frustration. Yeah. So yeah, class can really have a have an impact. And mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a it's a tricky one. <laughs> it's a it's tricky very, one. It's very and it's a, what's really interesting <laughs> about the class piece, particularly as immigrant parents, so quite often the Im- immigrant narrative is came here with nothing, da 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 da. But what I know to be true from the people from so I um, started off life in Labrook Grove. So there were lots of people from um, lots of people from Ghana, actually. There were lots of people that came from um, Egypt, Morocco, Algeria, Portuguese um, and Dominica, Grenada, Jamaica as well, but mainly Dominica and Grenada. And there were a number of people, well, all the people I knew from a West African background 
They were middle class where they came from. They were highly educated within a British system. But coming over to the UK, they had to drop down into working class because they were denied opportunities because of where they came from, the colour of their skin and having an accent. So my mum, quote unquote, ascended faster than some of her counterparts because she came here as a 13 year old therefore her accent only came out in like still only certain words so um so she had advantages in that way so then there's also that piece about fitting into a working class lifestyle that isn't really yours but you don't have any choice Mm. embodying that Then they do the thing that they do, which is work really hard, move away from the estate, do something Mm -hmm. that at the time feels like sense by moving from (laughs) zone one or two to zone four. Now we all wish we'd (laughs) stayed in the zone two place or whatever, (laughs) but then still carrying over some of the stuff from being an immigrant because middle class in Africa is different from middle class um, in the UK, but um, also, but still taking like carrying over some of that working class lifestyle Mm. so there are many people I know like parents who Mm. for a long time were middle class but still operating like working class so still not wanting to let go of things simply because they bought it 20 years ago I paid hard good money for that I don't want to do you know I'm still telling themselves that they can't that the only place they can go on the only like they can't go on holiday the only place they can go is home Oh my goodness. This is that this is like this is why we are so we are all so connected and I know we're not a monolith. We're but we're branches the of the same tree. What you have just said, we my mum had trunk boxes, trunk boxes of, of, of items that she was <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh Those wow. Trunks. Wow. Wow. Those, wow. The trunks and the chest freezers were a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they were. Wow, man. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I love it because I even remember. (laughs) I remember my aunt coming over from Sierra Leone and um, somebody somebody had come from London to Sierra Leone and was talking about Billingsgate Fish Market like it was the best thing ever. So then my mum got into the habit of going to crack of dawn before even the sun to go to Billingsgate Market to go and buy fish because it was cheaper. Boxes of fish. Then you have to get a bigger chest freezer. That's a false economy because you're now going to... First of all, you're waking up at God knows what time to go down there. Second of all, you're having to buy a bigger chest freezer for all this fish. The kids don't even like fish. But yeah... It's all mad. It's all mad. I had so much more to. to I have to ask you back onto the uh, podcast. But but there's two places I need to go. Okay. Firstly, no. Ah, oh, okay. Black Twitter. We might as well <laughs> seeing as we're in this in this part of the of the water. It can be Black Twitter. If you don't know what Black Twitter is, just Google Black Twitter. It can be the best, like sometimes I am almost wetting myself with laughter and sometimes it can be really, really heavy and sometimes just ridiculously petty and silly. Mm-hmm. Like everything that's going on, if if I want news that has literally, so for example, I opened up Instagram on the day that Nipsey Hussle died and I saw a picture, a, a video that... um. Um, P Diddy Puff Daddy had put up with a video of him and it had all these crying face emojis immediately I went straight to Twitter because I knew that Twitter would have all the news and so it can be really really heavy because we have got into this habit of sharing really traumatic news really quickly yes what I want to know from you is how do you manage to engage in conversations that can be really traumatic without the heaviness like I read your feed when something's happening and I smile to myself because I think like, did you grow up in a household where you were able to find the humor in most things? (laughs) I'm not saying that you're walking around making jokes, but even things like, 
Even things like, come on, people, let's make some sense here. Let's not just run with this story yeah. because do you know what I'm saying? But but there's still mm. there's still a, there, not a lightness. That's the wrong word. But there's still some element of exhale. Right, so a lot of tweets about heavy stuff or a lot of Twitter conversations about heavy stuff feel like an inhale and an inhale only. But yours feels like an exhale. Oh, thank you. Wow. I'm Mm. really intentional with my use of social media and Twitter specifically. One moment. Um, She's really intentional (laughs) with her use of social media. Because... You know, being in PR, a lot of the work I tend to do revolves around media relations. So that means a lot of my clients come to me to to to, to be profiled by the press or get some kind of media coverage or be on a platform or at least understand how they can navigate. So media training. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with the, with, the, with the rise of social media, now I consult clients in terms of how do you use social media effectively. Now, when, when it comes to black Twitter or, or any... T- a space that is representative of a specific social group we've got to kind of be mindful of how do we collectively share kind of that collective response and the emotions Mm. and reactions to things i i notice exactly what you said i i noticed very early on that it can go one of it can go one of two ways it can be extremely like okay are we making this worse for ourselves and each other Mm -hmm. or are we not asking the right questions like are we not asking the right questions whereby we can learn from all of this so i kind of i i may not be the most popular like i i don't necessarily think i have the i i again because because of, of measurement and being an in industry that i am mm-hmm. in i do understand and all of that so i don't necessarily think i've got the biggest twitter following or whatever and i don't think that's what i'm there for mm-hmm. but what i want to do is i want us to ask the right questions i believe that our responses and reactions are valid, really they are valid, actually. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes off kilter and we, we kind of, we don't understand why our reactions are valid. Yeah. Um, and so what that, what that tends to do is it, it, it takes away from the learning. Yeah. So, so if we don't learn from these things, what happens is they repeat themselves. But if we can learn, if we can ask the right questions, they don't repeat themselves and there'll be consequences to certain actions. There'll be mm-hmm. consequences to certain so when it comes to the trauma especially the trauma driven stories or the clickbaity stories i think it's really important that we we and i'm not um an advocate of necessary of censorship unless it's obviously it's specific trolling yeah. or you're being for the sake of it i feel like people should be as free as possible because as we know in the media in the mainstream media black black people um have never really been have never really been painted in a positive way unless we're entertaining the yeah. world I think. yeah <laughs> so yeah. if we're entering yeah. the world or we're playing in certain stereotypical spaces, then mainstream media tends to undermine or diminish us or be quite patronizing. So social media has given so many of us a platform to just be ourselves and yeah. given us a there is no longer we can no longer say that we need people to, to, to be a voice for the voiceless because mm-hmm. actually most of us have a voice now. You yeah. know, if you can wi-fi or data you can get on a social media platform and speak up but i I do think we it's important that because social media is changing how we consume information and consume facts and it's changing you know it's changing how our men like how we mentally engage and respond to things and with each other Mm -hmm. so i'm really sometimes in terms of how do I react to certain things and, and what is this telling me because if I if I don't start from myself some of the people who I interact with may not you know they may I don't want them to necessarily follow me and copy me but I yeah. want them to ask like questions yeah. and I think that happens with how I navigate on Twitter I think some of my followers have said like oh if if you hadn't have asked that question I wouldn't have even considered that mm-hmm. and for me that's all I've I just want people just to ask a question you know you can react you can be angry you can be sad you can be happy but especially a lot you use the word trauma you know uh, trauma is, is is real and it's something we need to heal from and you know going back to earlier parts of our conversation I personally still still don't think that collectively you know black communities so plural communities whether mm-hmm. we're in the Caribbean South America across North America Europe, across Africa. I don't think we've healed from the trauma Mm-mm. and the impact of historical legacies. So I feel like 
when you're when you're seeing some of those trauma-driven messages on social media, let's figure out a way of excelling and figuring out how can we heal as opposed to kind of still kind of yeah. living in that being, yeah. you know, traumatized. And then we're traumatized, but we're still not getting a chance to just breathe. Like, is it that deep? Because it's social media. But really, I feel like, you know, social media is not going anywhere. So it, it is that deep for yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, a- a- 100%. Like, what does that do <laughs> if you come from a lineage Let's think about North America, for example. If you come from a lineage where um, lynching was lynching is within your bloodline, let's say, and um, being killed simply for being a black person that they decided looks threatening, then you're watching those videos over and over and over again. If the science is correct that DNA is inherited. We're just mm-hmm. tapping into trauma that we don't even have, um, that that we're unaware of. So we're oh. we're then experiencing things that we 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 we're not even able to articulate. This is the thing, and I relay it back to the work I do and and, me, and the media. So mainstream media, tabloid media specifically, has often been kind of clickbaiting, headline grabbing, attention grabbing. But what you're finding is now is individuals who are considered maybe influencers or who have their own platforms, they are using, so for example, videos of any kind of brutal act and they are, they want to get that, they want to get that reaction. Like they want, they want the retweets, they want the likes, they want the clout. They're not asking the question. Yeah. So does does my timeline need to see this or does the police need to see it? For me, it's like, yes, it's important that that we, we call this stuff out, like, is sometimes used to draw out clout, you've used the right word, mm. as opposed to actual change. Mm-hmm. So that's just where, and I don't know where we draw that line, but that's just where my mind is at with, with some of the content on social. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one day we are going to have a have to have a discussion about the people that build their career on the back of sharing trauma. Um, but that will be for another day. There we go. Um, Sorry, the last part of what Ronke said just now got a bit digital, but I'm sure you can hear what she was saying. And it was very, very potent, Um, (laughs) as was all of the conversation. So uh, what I would like to know now is, Ronke, do you have any... It feels like it quite quite an abrupt close, but it was like a, it was it was such a potent like how else like there's 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 nothing else like I ain't got nothing left <laughs> Ian oh, Deal no. voice <laughs> not that I've got nothing left there's so much left I need to invite Ronke for a part two because I would really like to talk to you actually about PR and about people being ready for PR and about the mindset kind of stuff you do to just move through the world in the way that you do um I know that you know I'm just watching but it just feels like you really embody your quote-unquote big energy um but so do you you have such an amazing energy as well and I'd love to I'd love seeing your business trajectory your branding is awesome like yeah you yeah, so I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm letting you oh, know thanks. that you're just a dope. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. But yeah, we do definitely need to pick that up again. But for um, people that are thinking about having PR or, because you, you do workshops, you do, you do so much stuff. So let me break this down. Do you have anything coming up that people can book onto? Are you speaking somewhere that people could come to, first of all? Okay, great question. I'm, oft, I'm often invited to speak at certain events or conferences. So as and when I've got 
a couple in the pipeline towards the end of June, but a few that are actual in-house training, so I can't okay. necessarily yeah. advertise them. But my, my workshops, when I do them, I usually put them on my business website. So that's ariatupr.com. Um, and then I've got my videos. My videos help mm-hmm. to illustrate the power of PR, personal branding, and I speak about all things business as well. My, my videos, I kind of treat them as um, a way of kind of teaching people from afar. So mm-hmm. I'm on YouTube. Google Ron Keller well means business and you'll you'll find them and and, and as and when my, my seminars come up or any sessions come up I'm as you know I will promote them <laughs> so oh my gosh so that's something one. we need to talk about <laughs> no but it's, it's all good quality stuff fantastic and um where can people keep up to you keep up to you keep up with you um so there's twitter of course I will be putting a link to your twitter um where else can people find you so I've got my, my own website, so runkellowell.com, um, and that's, that's got my, some pieces that I share, and I'll post this podcast as well. So, and, and the updates about my events, and then I've got my business website, which I, I'd like to keep slightly separate. Yeah. So ariatupr.com, and that lists all of my business services and yeah. the people I work with. And then I'm, I'm all over, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram as well, and on YouTube, as I mentioned. So yeah. yeah. I'll add all of those <laughs> links there. Well, Ronke, thank you very much for a wonderful hour and 10 minutes or so of excellent conversation. And thank you for going with me to all of the places that we went within that big, vast sea. Um, Yeah, because it's necessary. Um, And I look forward to stalking your tweets. Yeah, and this was a really conversation that was about business this was this was nice yes this was very really lovely conversation so keep it up you're doing amazing work thank keep you it up. very it's much so thank you thank really you cool. <laughs> thank you Ron you take care Thank you for listening to 360 Conversations. I appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and I. I hope you found the episode useful. I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review my podcast like an increasing number of our digital experiences, the algorithms rule. Your feedback will assist me reaching a wider audience and I'd really love to have more women being privy to or joining these conversations. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me more women could benefit. As always, I'd love to keep the conversation going. You can join me by commenting on the podcast show notes on my website or via social media at Live360. I hope to engage with you soon. Podcast produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. Take care.